Hello, everyone, and welcome to Heard on the Street, Street Fight's podcast where we uncover the stories behind the companies, and more importantly, the people that constitute this sector of media and advertising that we all call local. So where are they from? What makes them tick? What business and life lessons can we draw from that? So I'm Mike Boland, lead analyst at Street Fight, and our guest today is Todd Wooten, who's founder of Vertical, which works with brands and agencies to optimize and advance their digital advertising. So we talked to Todd from our studio in San Francisco about the trends he's tracking and best practices he's exercising. So here's our discussion with Todd. So Todd, welcome to the program. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we have a lot to get into, including diving deeper into the, some of the things I just mentioned. But first, let's start with a quick intro for you and for Vertical, for those unfamiliar. Yes. Uh, my name is Todd Wooten. I'm the founder of Vertical. We're an open SSP and SaaS company in the mobile ad tech sector. We work directly with app developers and brand advertisers and providing a lot of tech for, to, to monetize mobile apps. That's great. A lot there for us to sink our teeth into. And we're going to talk a lot about the company, its approach, its differentiators. But first, as we like to do on this program to kind of contextualize the discussion, we're going to find out a little bit more about you, Todd. Um, So tell us a little bit about, you know, we, we can start at the beginning. You know, tell us about the kind of path that brought you into the world of tech and media and advertising. Um, you know, what got you into it and, um, you know, what got you here? Okay. Well, my path is not a normal one. Mm-hmm. I went into the Peace Corps uh, ah. in the business section soon after college. And uh, even more uh, non-general, I, I worked on accounting and management information systems for a national small business administration and an NGO. Uh, my tour was in Pakistan and Botswana. Hmm. And so, you know, aside from the tech work, you know, the cultural and, adv- you know, the adventure takeaways, uh, the biggest lesson I got from that was never give up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of, you know, led me into the direction I, I am now. Um, I returned to the U.S. and I got involved in the long-term care industry. Uh, that was to take a company public. Along the way, I got my CPA. Um, oddly enough, I also oversaw all the networking, the IS too. So, and you know, that was to to bring on all the business that we bought and centralize the operations. In '97, I started my entrepreneurship in digital media. Uh, that included companies uh, on the content management side developing peer-to-peer streaming distribution technology, and that was my introduction to ad tech. Uh, I had all sorts of roles ranging from accounting to operations, strategy, and tech. And uh, in 2016, I founded Vertical so we could focus on mobile ad tech. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, that feeds right into a theme which our frequent listeners are very familiar with, which is something I like to call cross-training. Um, and I think you embody that theme more so than kind of most guests we have, given the kind of varied background you just characterized. You know, everything from accounting to te- technology to, you know, life experiences and cultural acclimation through kind of different regions and the Peace Corps. So, like, how would you describe that kind of mosaic of skills um, and, and how that's helped you uh, become a stronger executive founder and everything you do today. And really part of the reason for asking that question 
um, isn't just like kind of a back padding exercise, but if we can draw out some, you know, discernible lessons for those listeners we have that are younger in their careers that are, you know, in the course of developing those skills and those varied skill sets, what are, what are some of the points of advice you have for them? Okay. So in, in my specific case, you know, I've always wanted to be really knowledgeable in everyone's job I manage. So over time, I actually had to do each type of role. Hmm. You know, for me, this covered accounting, contracts, vendor services, cloud, tech operations, compliance, sales, and you know, even engineering. Now, with Vertical, we really have some very specific engineering talent, and that's definitely out of my realm. But I do understand the speed, the standards, and the architecture. architecture. So um, that helps. But you know, oddly enough, looking back and aside from all the techie side of our sector, I, I think the most important need for successful entrepreneurship in general, and not just our sector but any, is to have a good understanding of accounting. Um, unless you feel comfortable on the business side, it's really hard to be stable in all other parts. And so, you know, I had a good foundation in accounting. Uh, even in college, I, I took the basic uh, accounting courses and got back from the Peace Corps, and I did the minimum requirement to take the CPA exam, and I did that. And it helped me in my corporate side and, and you know, from really, you know, that point forward. Um, my recommendation to your listeners is that, you know, that few people are lucky so you really should do your best to, to know every part of your business and even know it more than those you hire, uh, or at least as, as much as you can. Um, yeah. I, I don't believe in micromanagement, and you know I think I'm more successful and more comfortable with that because I better understand the positions and roles of my team. I mean, I know what they have to do to get, get what they have, know, know what they have to do to get done. And I'm able to accomplish more this way, at least for me. Yeah, that's actually great advice. And I love the focus on fundamentals, especially around accounting. I took accounting one, two, and three um, in college um, as actually a, you know, a, a non-business major. I ended up with a finance minor. But as part of that, accounting one, two, and three. And that helped me immensely, just knowing those basics and applying those towards everything I've done since and being you know, a business reporter for a number of years and now an analyst that spends a lot of time looking at business environments in the tech sector. Just having that um, ha has been immensely valuable. So I very much agree with you there. Um, so now let's go one level deeper on Vertical, on the company. So you founded it, um, I believe you said in 2016. Tell us a little bit about the short history of the company and how it's now positioned. How do you usually explain the company in terms of its value proposition, its differentiators, and, and really kind of whom, whom do you serve, I, I guess would be the right way to put it. Okay. So an SSP you know, is a big part of the ad tech that delivers advertising to the user. It's really just the publisher side of the, of the tech. Um, we label ourselves as, as an open SSP. And you know, an open SSP is one that provides the tools and everything and the capabilities for clients to, to sign up, validate, verify ownership and compliance, and then launch. And mm -hmm. so that's what we mean by open. Now, we have a lot of really large publishers, of course, big names. Um, and we also have account managers. So not everything is self-serve. Um, you know, we're a tech house um, at our really, you know, really basically that's what we are. And we started to, you know, basically provide a lot of great tech to publishers and we've evolved. Um, our mission today is to be a provider of what we call demand path optimization. 
you know, currently we're the only one that has declared this, uh, and and the, the term is DPO, and DPO is a publisher version of SPO, and for those that don't know it, uh, it's that supply path optimization, and you know that's on the advertiser side. Supply app optimization uh, focuses on the efficiencies and ROI for the advertisers, which is simply, hey, how do they get the best inventory at the lowest rate? Mm. Um, demand path optimization focuses on the publisher side. Um, it's the other side of that equation. And to this date, there really hasn't been any focus on that. And that's what really needs to happen. And the, the DPO for publishers focuses on efficiencies to increase revenues and increase the value of their inventory. Mm -hmm. So, you know, currently, you know, SPO on the supply path side, you know, works in favors of the advertisers only. What we propose and can do is, you know, we think a successful SPO uh, has to work in conjunction with a successful DPO for the publishers, the app developers. Uh, to date, they've really, you know, SPO has worked against the publishers when DPO and SPO can work together because in the end, we're trying to introduce a whole new term and that's called ad path optimization. Hmm. And that's basically a collective progress of the whole sector. Uh, Everybody wants efficiencies. Everybody wants to reduce their costs. Everybody wants to increase revenues. Um, and this can be done collectively and not against each other. And yeah. That's, that's our mission. That, that's a great description that, that also, I think, is, um, you know, in layman's terms, a good description of at least a portion of the overall ad tech ecosystem and value chain. Now, you use the word optimization a lot, which is really the, you know, it tips me off to... Um, ponder the optimization of vertical itself and your own approach in terms of how you're packaged, priced, and, and you know, delivered. So for example, in some of your constituents, like for example, a publisher that wants to optimize their monetization through advertising, you know, how is it packaged and priced for them in the kind of sliding scale between software and services? And of course, you know, that, that sliding scale involves some kind of pros and cons on each end, like with, with software you know, just a, a product or a SaaS model, you obviously have more scalability and in some cases better unit economics. However, with, you know, services that are more high touch, sometimes those can be advantageous if justified by, you know, a much larger publisher and an ongoing deeper relationship. So how do you kind of, you know, navigate those opportunities and optimize your own opportunity to kind of the, the demand that's out there for, for what you're providing? So optimization really means efficiencies, right? And so, you know, in the end, you know, we're all, you know, all a bunch of engineering looking for better efficiencies and taking a publisher perspective. Hmm. Uh, there's two sides of our business. We have our marketplace um, and also we have our SaaS. Um, and so we have pivoted from a marketplace into a SaaS because we know that's what, in the long term, what our sector needs, right? Um, and so... What we want to do is we want efficiencies because we see all these things that drives us crazy that we have a, a lot of people or a lot of, lot of uh, parties that have their hands in the pockets of, of the ad spend. You know, currently it's only half of the ad spend gets to the publisher. And there's just not enough services provided by those upstream to justify that. It should actually be 75, 80%. 
And so our goal is to get more money into the hands of the publishers and give more of that ad spend to the publisher. Therefore, the ROI of both the advertiser is higher and the publisher gets more money for their content and that creates a better or healthier cycle, right? And so our approach is to basically through efficiencies, our architecture and our tools is to give the publisher control because if they're not in control, then it doesn't work because those in control do it for their own purpose and they have their hands in, in, in the ad spend. And so in the end, we're, we've proven that we're able to add up to 25% increased revenues by simply adding more efficiencies and removing participants out of the chain that don't need to be involved. Hmm. And so, you know, uh, the goal here is to provide a very transparent, compliant approach to a SaaS service that easily puts control into the publishers so they can control their side and work in unison with the advertisers. For example, every bid request that's sent costs, not just to send, but to receive, right? And so these are, you know, up to this point, these partnerships have been unhealthy. And so that's our goal. Uh, we are also very transparent on our website. We fully publish our rates. We even provide calculators. Uh, currently, you know, there are some other SaaS providers out there. Uh, they don't really address the big three items, but you know, we are 120th and soon to be 125th of their cost because we are simply just down to architecture uh, and we want to pass those benefits onto the publisher and give them the tools to increase their revenues. Um, you know, the big three that app developers want, they want to increase efficiencies to reduce costs. The second thing is they want to increase efficiencies to increase revenues. And the third thing, which is the really long-term play, is to increase the value of their inventory. And if they're able to do that in unison with the advertising side, you know, it's just a much healthier sector. Absolutely. I, I think that's a great description. So we're going to pause there for a commercial break. When we come back, more from Todd. Hello, everyone. This is Mike Bolin, lead analyst at Street Fight, and I'd like to talk to you today about Brandify, which is Street Fight's parent company. It's a local marketing company that provides a range of services for brands with brick and mortar store locations. So that's everything from retail stores to restaurants and moving companies and banks and healthcare providers and several other verticals. And Brandify manages the digital outposts where most consumers encounter these businesses today. So we're talking Google Maps and Facebook, Yelp, Apple Maps, and Bing. And the name of the game is really to create a compelling presence on these sites and apps and to engage with consumers more effectively using advanced reputation management tools. And this is all really compelled by the fact that 97% of consumers regularly search online for local businesses. So brands today can't afford to be missing from all those channels or lack multimedia content or contact information or visible responses to customer feedback. So Brandify synthesizes and optimizes all these channels through a local marketing platform. And it's all about standing out and winning the loyalty and lifetime value of tech-savvy consumers. So to learn more, visit Brandify.com. So we're back. My guest is Todd Wooten. So Todd, before the break, we were talking a lot about uh, Vertical's kind of unique differentiators, its approach, its recent pivot to more of a SaaS-based offering. So drilling down on one level, let, let's kind of 
provide some more color there. So, you know, from the perspective of, of one of your customers or partners, um, you know, for example, a, a publisher that might use the platform, um, you know, what does that look like from, from their end in terms of day-to-day workflow? Um, and, and, you know, if, if you can, you know, give us any details, um, you know, you may or not, may not be able to mention names, but just any kind of examples of, of kind of where you brought some of your customers' uh, value. Absolutely. So, you know, publishers we deal with um, on the SaaS side are pretty large. They have operations teams. And obviously the, the, the steps are to integrate our SDK because then we then enable to offer the SaaS mediation and, and advanced services through that SDK. Um, and the process basically has been them introdu- you know, integrating our SDK, going through validation processes and steps, and then switching and moving their existing demand partners to test two hours so they can then see the the improvements, the increase of, of revenue, reduction of unknown margins, and then they're able to then transition those as they feel comfortable. And a lot of times it does happen in unison with the demand partner uh, and advertiser that they have connected. And so that is like a, you know, a real everyday type of benefit that they're able to see as it progresses. Uh, eventually, uh, our, our goal is to, you know, they'll obviously have the larger SDKs integrated, uh, like your Google and your, your Amazon and, and your others. Uh, but we then provide a very viable and efficient uh, uh, utility for them to integrate with their other demand partners, advertisers, and all the others that are certified on our platform. And we have 60 or 70 or so. Now, now among those, you mentioned kind of large, large publishers. Are there any categories or verticals that you focus on that map particularly well to what you offer, or is it would you consider it more of a horizontal play, either on the the publisher end, the constituents you serve, or or the kind of content and advertising categories that are kind of w- within you the the inventory that you help optimize? So on both ends, is it are you kind of across the board, or do you specialize in any verticals? Yeah, we, you know, when we first started, we had a, a good amount of social, right, and gaming. Mm-hmm. And it's really branched out. And so we cover all sorts. If, if uh, app developers that have uh, content in, in, in different verticals uh, that want brand advertising, you know, we're, we're a viable partner for them. Uh, and so since then, you know, we, we cover the whole gambit. We really do. Uh, and as far as advertisers go on the branding side, it, it was pretty pretty dialed in initially, and then it's expanded. So we really have no specialty when it comes to uh, types or categories. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, now beyond kind of vertical categories, is there any other market segmentation that you work with? Like, for example, size of publisher. Like, is there a threshold under which... Um, you know, monetization, ad monetization probably, you know, is not is not the right answer. I mean, what's kind of that? What, what is that threshold where, you know, ad monetization starts to become kind of worthwhile, um, whether that's in, you know, app download terms or traffic terms? Is there any way you could kind of quantify that for us? So we're on the branding side. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have publishers that do have a good portion of their uh, revenues coming through performance, yep. you know, instant etc but we focus on the branding side we recently re- released our our uh, SDK 
that includes rewarded videos. So we will be going down there simply because we have our publishers that, that want that. Um, but I, I would have to say that, you know, there's obviously those that, you know, that it's a hobby uh, and they use us simply as a kind of ubiquitous type of platform to connect them to the various advertisers that they have been able to connect with. Um, and so we, we have publishers that make pennies a day and then we have publishers that make tens of thousands of dollars a day. Um, there, you know, we, we opened up our platform to be self-service because, you know, some of those big publishers that we have started out as hardly anything, you know, and we, we've nurtured with them during that whole process. Mm. So, you know, we have the self-service and as I mentioned earlier, we, we have account managers that are in constant contact with the ops teams of the app developers. Sure. So, you know, among that very kind of large uh, large base of publishers that you work with, everything from the pennies a day self-serve uh, constituents all the way up to the kind of higher touch, high value uh, clients. Um, I, I imagine there's a range of like your your business model, your service model and how you work with them. But at the lower end, how does that look in terms of pricing? Because it seems like for them, the barriers to entry are somewhat low. And that's, I, I assume, uh, deliberate on your part to kind of lower some of the adoption friction. But what does that look like for them from a cost perspective? How do you charge them? Okay, so um, there's two sides of our business. One is the marketplace, right, where we bring our advertisers uh, to those properties that we're able to whitelist. And so we have a percentage of that revenue. And so we get paid by the advertisers, and then we pay the, the app developer. Hmm. And, uh, in the SaaS, you know, it could be literally pennies for a month. Uh, we actually have a, 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 an offering there where you know, we, we give them a month or two months of free SaaS to kind of prove it. Um, because we know that they'll, once they utilize it, and as we guide them, they'll believe in it. So um, there really is no entry to barrier, a barrier to entry. Hmm for our SaaS. That's great. That's the kind of some of the some of the beauties of of uh, kind of the unit economics of SaaS uh, and it's kind of lower barriers and scalability. That's that's great to hear. Um, so we're actually going to pause for another commercial break when we come back more from Todd. Hello, everyone. This is Mike Bolin, lead analyst at Street Fight, and I'd like to talk to you today about Brandify, which is Street Fight's parent company. It's a local marketing company that provides a range of services for brands with brick and mortar store locations. So that's everything from retail stores to restaurants and moving companies and banks and healthcare providers and several other verticals. And Brandify manages the digital outposts where most consumers encounter these businesses today. So we're talking Google Maps. Facebook, Yelp, Apple Maps, and Bing. And the name of the game is really to create a compelling presence on these sites and apps and to engage with consumers more effectively using advanced reputation management tools. And this is all really compelled by the fact that 97% of consumers regularly search online for local businesses. So brands today can't afford to be missing from all those channels or lack multimedia content or contact information or visible response responses to customer feedback. So Brandify synthesizes and optimizes all these channels through a local marketing platform. And it's all about standing out and winning the loyalty and lifetime value of tech-savvy consumers. So to learn more, visit Brandify.com. So we're back. My guest is Todd Wooten. So Todd, before the break, we were talking about 
um, some of the more detailed descriptions of vertical and how it's working with its clients and with publishers in terms of helping them optimize, uh, helping them to monetize in different ways. And you're working with a range of different kind of companies, both vertically speaking and also just different kind of segments in terms of the scale of their business. So let's now kind of transition over into talking about what's next for vertical. So as far as you can, in terms of talking about roadmap, tell us about some of the kind of features or capabilities that you guys are working on that, that you're kind of excited to implement. Okay. So, we just released our 2.0 version of our SDKs. Um, the next versions that we have are going to include additional features on the mediation SaaS side for rewarded video, and then also digital audio. Um, oh. I think that's an area, obviously this is a podcast, but uh, that's going to be an area that is going to, you know, it, it needs a lot of attention. Um, it's kind of a little bit of a wild, wild west. And, you know, we're all about uh, adding good tech to areas that we think need it. So. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, we're, our, our approach right now is on the mobile app side, uh, a little bit longer term, uh, not too long term, but is do the same thing on the mobile web side. Um, you know, the efficiencies, the transparencies, everything is a total mess uh, when it comes to mobile web, and we then want that to be the next frontier. Yeah, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. Now kind of broadening almost a similar question about kind of what's next what's coming but broadening the question to kind of vertical's long-term evolution the kind of the story arc of, of the company's life cycle and and not only that but the industry itself the the ad tech industry the broader advertising industry is obviously uh, really going through a lot of changes over the last few years when you look at everything from you know privacy to you know public public sector legislation to private sector changes when you look at kind of the the moves made by you know iOS and Android and other things like that so obviously we're in very very kind of you could say turbulent time for advertising how are you looking to kind of lead the way into the next kind of decade of of, of the advertising landscape so you know we kind of call it the purge right so when we went through this compliance with adpads.tech ad.tech yep. uh, sellers json all these different things right it, it was a basically a purge uh, and a lot of the, the non, but the participants that didn't bring value, a lot of them were, 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 were just, they had to leave, right? Um, and so we still think that's going to evolve, right? Um, as this transparency improves, as everything increases, what we want to do is we want to kind of evolve into an infrastructure offering. Uh, we think that the infrastructure approach uh, once the publishers have con have better controls and the advertisers have better controls and they're working in unison, the strength of vertical is going to be being a provider of infrastructure. And so that's a little bit of a longer term approach. Things are going to have to happen in our sector to make to allow that. But we think that's going to be the value add for vertical. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So kind of winding down here a little bit and kind of coming full circle. Um, when talking about kind of you and your also personal arc. So what are your kind of some, some of the personal goals that you have for the remainder of 2020? Yeah. You know, so something I would like to see started uh, sooner than later, you know, I was at the IAB uh, leadership conference, um, you know, a while back, uh, I think it was the previous year and advertisers said, Hey, I, I want people, I want to advertise to people that are happy. And I was like, yeah, we can do that. You know, um, and so with all this whole privacy 
thing that's happening. And it's really good, you know, that the privacy restrictions are evolving and it's, it's healthy for this sector, you know. That's what we call PII. Well, there's a whole different realm when it comes to DII, which is device information. And I, we get really excited um, on our side because that's what we're developing for. And there's a lot of DII that's available that's just not being used. Everybody's right now in reactionary mode when it comes to privacy and, and other things. But you know, there's, there's several types of data that's, that's available um, through the device. It's, it's the device data itself. Uh, and it's also contextual data that can be available. Right. And so, you know, really quickly, you know, on the, on the strict device side, there's what we call user engagement and simply is, Hey, is the ad being looked at at the time of the ad request? Mm -hmm. And that's something advertisers should know, right? It shouldn't be face down. It shouldn't be in a position where it's not viewable. And that's something advertisers should know. I'm sure want to know. Uh, there's other also two types of things going kind of going back to what that advertiser wanted and we call them status moments uh, and emotional moments status moments are things like hey is this at a walking pace or is it a joggers pace Did the person just finished a jog should they receive an ad for a refreshing ad you know um, and there's just like lots of examples about those status moments that that are available and the the one getting back to the Hey, you know, I want to advertise in front of somebody when they're happy, what we call emotional moments. And these are intended user emotion moments that the app developers are able to determine and describe within their content. So we can have moments that range from happiness, frustration, even hunger. And those are things that, that app developers are able to do. Uh, and I'm sure advertisers want. And so, you know, and none of that touches on privacy. Uh, because it doesn't go in that realm. And so, you know, it should be on everyone's front queue, right? Uh, kind of looking forward. And so those are things that if we're able to uh, improve uh, the standards to include those taxonomy, uh, the requirements, then those are, those are things that can improve or increase the value of the inventory and increase the ROI for advertisers. And those are things that are, us as a sector, we haven't looked at yet we're just now beginning and it's kind of a weird term it's called audience cohort creation and that's basically you know the working groups creating the taxonomy requirements and the standards to to provide this type of data from the content to the advertiser and th those are kind of really exciting things that that we're working on um I know it's not so much on a personal level, but I am enthralled in our sector, and you know this is what I do. Um, and so those are things that I think that you know that get us excited. Yeah, that's great. I like the idea of you know targeting or advertising to uh, people that are happy or during happy moments. And and we're hoping in terms of you know goals while we're talking about goals is that there there will be more happy moments for all of us in 2021 to target. So I guess that's that's a good place to end it, and that's all the time we have. So I want to thank you, Todd, uh, for spending time with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, this, this has been a fun conversation. Thank you all for listening. And stay tuned for future episodes of Heard on the Street. You can find us on streetfightmag.com. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Also stay tuned for lots more writings and multimedia from Street Fight. So this has been Heard on the Street. I'm Mike Boland. Thanks for listening.